Quick, everyone. Grab your globe or world map. You'll need it in a minute. Oh, hi, Luke. Thanks for mentioning that. Hey, have you ever found animal tracks during a walk in fresh snow? Detectives love finding footprint clues to help them locate or identify a suspect in a mystery. Changes in weather can uncover ancient footprints, which is just what happened in Texas this past summer when the drought dried up a river, revealing 140 dinosaur tracks hidden beneath it. Several years ago, Archaeologists were stunned when they discovered some of the earliest human footprints ever found on North America. They were digging on Calvert Island, one of Canada's western islands, when they uncovered three sets of human footprints. Two pairs belonged to adults and one to a child. We know they walked barefoot because their footprints included impressions of their toes. Can you picture being that child who made the footprints, walking with your parents in squishy ground, perhaps after climbing out of a boat? Had you just discovered North America? Where had you come from? What did you look like? You'd have no idea that many thousands of years later, scientists with cell phones and modern technology would excitedly celebrate the imprint of your bare feet. Your footprints would be clues that show how humans traveled from Asia to North America and then spread out all over the continent. Perhaps it was your great-great-grandchildren that intermarried with other tribes and created huge families that would eventually travel east across the grassy plains, living in teepees as they followed buffalo for food. They would reach the eastern shore of North America, intermarry with other tribes, and form powerful nations that lived in longhouses and wigwams. Perhaps some of your children were the explorers who migrated south, building apartment-like homes into enormous rocks. Other descendants would move to where Mexico is today. They would create impressive civilizations using a deep understanding of complex math to build cities and grow their own food. They would develop art and create a calendar, conduct trade with other nations and develop their own languages and religions. Thousands of nations would come from the first family of North America, and millions would be born here. The little child who walked upon Calvert Island could not possibly envision such a future for the continent. He or she was probably just trying to stay warm by the fire and fill a hungry tummy. Many think that the first people to find North America came from Asia and traveled on foot using a land bridge between what is now Russia and Alaska as they followed animals that they hunted for food. But other clues now show that the first humans in America may have been extremely skilled in navigating the ocean. Some archaeologists believe that they arrived on boats, stopping along the beaches of North and South America, and then moving inland from there. There are many theories on who populated North and South America first and how they did it, but the success of these First Nations is undeniable. There is much for archaeologists to uncover as we attempt to reconstruct the story of those brave first travelers to America. Perhaps today, we will find some clues. Hi, I'm Heidi Illion, and this is Brilliant Mornings, a podcast for families that tells inspirational stories from history and discovers the beauty in every culture across the globe. 
This season, we focus on the oral traditions passed down from the first North Americans to the many indigenous nations and tribes which have thrived in North America. We will find out about how they lived and the legends parents passed down to their children. We'll see how their values of bravery, respect, thankfulness, and spirituality played out in their lives. This season, join our group of junior archaeologists as they dig up artifacts and solve mysteries. It's my guess you haven't read many books about the very first North Americans, and neither have I. This is because no one actually knows who they were. But scientists are making discoveries every day that help them piece together archaeological clues with genetic clues. For example, DNA and blood type samples of indigenous Americans have been linked to the Altai people of northern Mongolia, to Europeans, to East Asians, and at least one study connected them to Aboriginal people of Australia. Today's adventure uses these clues to imaginatively piece together an historical fiction story of an early North American family that could easily have been the ancestors of the indigenous nations we know today. But first, let's do some map questions with Luke. Hey everyone, it's time for map questions with Luke. Take your globe or world map and find Alaska. Do you see a string of islands in a long arc reaching westward from southern Alaska? What is the name of this archipelago, which is a chain of islands? That's right, the Aleutian Islands. What country is west of the Aleutian Islands? Yes, Russia. Russia had colonized the islands in the 1700s, but the United States bought all the islands except those closest to Russia. What sea is north of the archipelago? Yes, it's the Bering Sea. What ocean is south of it? Yes, the Pacific Ocean is in the south. You may notice that there are 14 large islands and 55 smaller ones. Does your map tell the names of any of the Aleutian Islands? If so, go ahead and say them out loud. These islands make up the northernmost part of the Ring of Fire, which is a horseshoe-shaped line surrounding the Pacific Ocean, where volcanoes erupt and earthquakes shake land and sea. There are 57 volcanoes on the Aleutian Islands. Many of them are live and erupt every now and then. The Aleutian Islands were formed by volcanic eruptions. Today's story begins on one of these islands, thousands of years ago, with a mystery family long unknown. You'll never find me, called Tuya, a girl seven winters old, as she slipped behind a tuft of thick grasses on the shore. Plump purple crowberries tickled her toes. She plucked them and popped them into her watering mouth. Her cousin, Atu, stumbled dangerously close to her hiding spot. He also spied the patch of crowberries and fell to his hands and knees to collect them. A wry smile spread across his face when he spied Tuya's feet, only an arm's length from the berries. Silently, he slithered on his belly to her hiding spot and pounced on her. You sly shark. I guess it's my turn to find you. She covered her eyes with her purple juice-streaked hands, getting ready to count. But the game was abruptly ended when Tuya's mother appeared. My little light, come quickly. 
Tuya and Atu filled their pouches with berries and skipped toward the beach where all of their relatives filled boats with food. She saw her father, Urin, tanned and strong, fastening wooden paddles into his boat. She saw her grandfather, Uugan, with his wild white hair, muttering angrily at one of his sons. Tuya noticed that her mother, Sarantuya, wiped tears from her eyes as she swung a sealskin bag over her shoulder. Her beautiful raven-black eyes cast a fearful glance into the ocean. For a moment, she allowed fear to drown her joyful thoughts. Then, with a shake of her head, she rapidly cast those fears into the sea, promising herself that the voyage ahead would bring her family to safety. Safety from the angry mountain that kept erupting in fire and smoke. Safety from her uncle who threatened her father's family. She and her brothers and sisters, their husbands, wives, and children, would follow the sun to a new home with bountiful fish. She hoped they would find mountains and flowers as beautiful as the ones they left behind. She also hoped for warmer, sunnier days in the new land so her family would not have to desperately cry out to the spirits for an end to the almost constant rain. The tide calls us. We must leave now. Sarantuya nodded to her child. Her bone necklaces knocked lightly against each other as she weighed into the waves, grasping the side of a whalebone boat stretched with seal skin. The voyaging canoe was actually double-hulled, which meant that two canoes were connected with wooden poles. Sails of woven grass stretched above the canoes. Tuya felt her father scoop her up in a firm grasp and plop her into one of the hulls, atop a pile of waterproof seal intestine coverings. Tuya giggled with excitement, looking up at her father, Urin, a brave hunter with whalebone piercings in his lower lip. Sarantuya and Urin nimbly jumped into the boat beside Tuya. Several other identical canoes swayed on the water beside them as families climbed inside. They carried their few belongings in sacks on their backs, bearing armfuls of smoked fish, water pouches, and dried berries to nourish them. No one knew how long of a journey by sea it would be. Tuya and her cousins called to each other from nearby boats as Tuya snuggled in the blankets enjoying the fresh sea air and the smiling sun above her. She wished her uncle Kiska could travel in her canoe, but grandfather needed his help. She heard the voices of her aunts calling farewell to their island as they floated out to sea. Tuya watched the bright green grasses and tall purple lupine flowers of the shore wave goodbye to her floating family. Her grandfather, Uugan, who had sailed here as a young boy with his seafaring clan, led the way upon the waters. The patriarch's snow-white hair, divided into eight whip-like dreadlocks, flapped in the wind, swirling about his massive body like protective eels. His muscular bare arms paddled with resolve. His fierce eyes peered into the distance away from his lost home, away from his horrid brother. For a moment, his face reddened as he remembered the night he caught his sneaky younger brother trying to steal his canoes and his food, leaving them to starve. Uugam pictured the fight they'd had, the spears that had flown, the wound to his chest that had now become a scar. At that thought, he spat and yelled, Hiya! His sons and daughters echoed his call to fly onward, and their voices danced over the waters. For hundreds of years, Ugan's clan had been mighty seafarers. He would not let his ancestors down. He would find a new home, 
just as they always had. Mama is not like her father, Tuya thought to herself, smiling at her grandfather's wrinkled yelling mouth. Her mother was named Saran Tuya, which meant moonlight. Tuya thought she was just like the moon, a gentle light and a meek spirit. She knew her mother had little peace about this decision to cross the great sea. Though it appeared innocent right now, dotted with canoes, she had been taught that the sea had a spirit of its own, that it was alive and temperamental, sometimes angry toward humans. The wild sea excited Tuya. She waved her hands, her long hair, black as night, flying in the wind. Soaking in the excitement of the moment, little Tuya shouted along with the men. She certainly possessed her grandfather, Uugan's fierce spirit, never backing down in a moment of terror. Perhaps that spirit would be needed on this trip. The weather today was calm and pleasant, though a fog hung over the surface of the waters. Many of the children in the boats were asking for food, and mothers distributed their smoked fish. Tuya gnawed at a ball of seal fat, as a child would enjoy chewing gum today. She thought it might be fun to tip over and touch the water below, but one look at her father's stern face as she leaned toward the side of the boat made her think twice. The wind helps us today. Her father smiled. Tuya could feel that they were being pushed along by the strong wind moving east. She smiled back, dimples creasing both her cheeks. What a fabulous day with both parents together. Her father had not left them to fish and her mother sat calmly. It was the first time Tuya had not seen her mother's hands at work. This would be the perfect opportunity for a story. Though there was no fire to sit around, Tuya cozied herself between her parents and begged them. Please, can you tell me a story from our ancestors? As voices from nearby canoes began singing, Sarantuya closed her eyes and obliged. Long ago, the skies fought the earth. In the fight, the clouds dumped all the water they had been holding onto onto the earth and covered all of the mountains and all of the people with water. But one family had been very smart. Using trees, they had built a boat. The first boat ever created. She stopped suddenly, fearfully. The wind had picked up around them. Now was not the time to tell the story about a storm. She started another legend. In the beginning, the creator spoke into darkness and sang, I am light and life, the father of all beings. He created sun and earth and water and separated water from sky. She told of fanciful beings with wings, horns, and shells made of clay, of a spider woman who ruled the earth, of the sun and moon whom her people had always worshipped. When the winds quieted down, Tuya's mother announced it was time to catch fish. Urin slowed the boat. <laughs> Tuya chuckled excitedly, for this job normally belonged to her father. However, since he was busy navigating the boat, he'd given her permission to fish. Tuya knew how to place worms onto shell hooks as bait. Her father had allowed her to help him with this task before. The hooks were tied to a thin grass rope, which hung from willow sticks used as fishing rods. Tuya followed her father's instructions, casting her line and hook into the sea. After several casts, a formidable underwater being tugged on Tuya's fishing line. Before she knew what had happened, her whole body was flung toward the water. 
As she flew past her father, screaming, his firm hand pulled her back. Sarantuya's face paled as she caught her daughter's foot and then watched her husband's oar, which he'd promptly dropped, float away into the sea. Her distressed cry quickly ceased when she saw the smiles of father and daughter. Urin held up an enormous king salmon in both hands. Sarantuya shook her head. This phenomenal catch would nourish her family for days, but she would never let her little girl fish again. She grabbed the flailing salmon to prepare it, while Urin shuffled in the depths of the boat to find another oar he'd wisely brought along, just in case. For the next several days, travel proved easy and calm. Urin navigated the boat expertly, looking at the stars at night to find his location and progress, as the others did. Their relatives journeying with them sometimes rowed their boats very close so that the boat skins touched. They sang together, traded food, and shouted an occasional joke or an encouraging word. A mood of joyful anticipation filled the air. By the fourth day at sea, however, the seafarers read ominous clues in the sky. The clouds promised a storm. Sarantuya and her daughter could smell the rain in the air before it began. First, isolated drops landed on Tuya's nose and eyes and on her tunic. She tried to lick the drop on her nose. Quickly, the precipitation grew heavier. The travelers huddled under waterproof seal gut blankets and tied themselves to the boat with ropes. Urin navigated skillfully until nightfall when the wind sent great waves that took control of their boat. The waves, as high as the hills back home, jolted and spun the seafarers as an angry toddler throws his toys in a rage. Vomiting, jolting, and crashing into the bones of the boat, Tuya and her parents wondered if they were still alive. In their dizziness and fear, they imagined they had entered another world, the afterlife. They no longer heard their family members' screams. The storm had carried them off into a deathly isolation. The winds would die down and pick up, and the darkness never let up. The rain pounded down on their coverings. The tempest warped even time. After two days, Tuya could not remember how long her family had suffered under the ocean's rage. Perhaps the rain and wind were mocking them, for the wind finally ripped off their coverings and carried all their belongings off into the howling winds, never to be seen again. Exposed to the elements, yet still clinging to their creaking ribs of the boat, Tuya's family had given up all hope of life. Sarantuya's fear had reached its peak. Screaming, she pictured the legend of the flood. She saw the people inside the boat. She saw them kneeling. Then her thoughts turned to another legend, when the Creator had separated sky from water. Creator, help us! She called into the waves, which crashed over her face. Creator, separate sky and water again! A thunderous answer from the heavens made Tuya shudder. She could not tell whether tears or rain poured down her cheeks, but her eyes felt brighter. Within minutes, a streak of light appeared in the heavens. This time it remained, unlike the lightning bolts that had flashed for days. The thick layer of cloud covering spread apart, revealing a sliver of blue sky above. Then peace settled over the angry waters. They shimmered and dimpled in the sun's rays as if they'd always been so innocent. Sarantuya and Urin's tight grasp on Tuya loosened, though their arms remained stiff and limp. Urin gazed into the skies and then peered at his wife with wide eyes. They dared not speak, lest they undo the miracle. 
For several days, the survivors floated, barely cognitive. Hungry, exhausted, parched, and feverish, they lie, appearing as dead inside their weak vessel. Had a fish not accidentally flown into their boat, they may not have lived. Urin gathered his strength and extended his bloody arm to grasp the unlucky creature. With great effort and concentration, he scraped away little scales and cut off pieces of white fish with his fingernail, placing bits into Tuya and Sarantuya's mouths. Tuya awoke suddenly. Tuya? Someone called her name. Tuya, drink! With blurry vision, she made out the outline of her mother squeezing out the last drips of fresh water from the seal bladder she'd hidden beneath her tunic during the storm. Tuya felt the life-giving drips splash into her dry tongue. Her vision cleared, and Tuya noticed the wounds on her mother's arms. Her father rode inefficiently with a broken pole. He seemed to hurry, but why? Suddenly, Tuya craned her neck. Was that? Could it be? She gazed to her left and saw only empty ocean. No boats, no relatives, no Uugan with his mighty victory chant. Then she strained her head to look past her father. Was that? Land! Tuya exclaimed. Yes. Her father smiled, perhaps more excited that Tuya was alive than that they had approached the land they had sought. The evergreen trees in the distance stood messily atop a strip of brown earth. The water around the approaching island looked green, then blue, more beautiful than anything Tuya had ever seen. Suddenly, her mother moaned. Faster! She yelled. Urim jumped from the boat, swimming like a shark on the prowl, pulling the boat behind him with a rope. The bottom of their vessel trudged along through sticky, muddy earth and then abruptly halted. Sarantuya leapt from the boat into the shallow water and sunk into the waves. Urin's bear-like arms picked Tuya up from her spot in the boat. He ran through waves, only to be slowed close to the shore when his feet sunk into deep clay. He plopped the girl down upon a rock. Tuya could not comprehend her parents' urgency, her father nervously gathering sticks and thrusting the flint necklace onto rock to create sparks, gently blowing them to create a flame cupping his hands around the tiny dancing fire to shield it as it grew. All the while, gentle moans came from Sarantuya as she lay in the waves, appearing as a seal on her back. Suddenly, Tuya understood. Though her legs felt shaky and her head rather dizzy, Tuya stumbled toward her mother, whose locked jaw revealed the pain she now endured. Her father tossed her a water skin, and Tuya instinctively placed it at her mother's mouth, coaxing her to drink. Wave after wave washed over Sarantuya, while a different series of painful waves tightened around her abdomen. It was late in the evening when a tiny yet robust cry rang out over the empty island. A baby had arrived, several weeks early, but healthy and whole just the same. Sarantuya tucked the wrinkled, precious boy under her tunic against her chest, filled with thankfulness. Urin held his wife close as Tuya leaned against her father. The smell of cooked fish hung in the air as they finished the last of what Urin had caught today. The journey has ended, Tuya whispered. Her father gazed toward the land beyond them. Oh no, my little light. Our journey has just begun.
of a little child. And here are dope footprints. Claire gasped, chisel in hand. Her volunteer archaeology club called Artifact had spent the summer digging, scraping, and brushing off footprints discovered on Calvert Island with a team from a Canadian university. It looks like they ran to the other side of the island, looking at the land they discovered. Then they kept running back to the middle here. Maybe they'd built a fire in the center that they kept coming back to? Exclaimed Micah. Yes, and they were definitely bare, but look at the imprints of their toes here. I can't believe they were here thousands of years ago. I wonder who they were. What did they look like? What were their names? What were they doing? Where did they come from? I guess we'll never really know. But we can imagine. Thank you to Janice, who played Tuya, Anna, who played Sarantuya, Mr. C, who played Urin. Thank you to Luke, who hosted our map questions. And special thank you to Claire, Micah, and Arabella. Please visit our website, brilliant-mornings.com, and sign up for our mailing list to receive the children's magazine, Artifact. The first volume is free for our listeners. Also, follow us on Instagram at Brilliant Mornings to vote on whether this story should be made into a book. Join us for the next episodes, which include a road trip across America. This podcast was written and produced by Heidi Ilian with intro music by Matt Gregor.